0: I'm Phil Preston, and welcome to The Purpose Edge, where we delve into the career and life stories of our guests, and at the end, as usual, I'll add some extra thoughts. My guest today deals in the most precious commodity on earth, and that's called attention. She's an international award-winning TV and film producer and has worked on Big Brother, Dancing with the Stars, The X Factor, The Celebrity Apprentice, The Farmer Wants a Wife, and was one of the creators of Q&A, a a long-running show on the ABC. She has names on her speed dial that would make your head spin, and today mainly works with CEOs, and we'll find out more about that a little later. Her name is Maz Farrelly. Welcome, Maz. Hello, darling. I was
1: just thinking how lovely your voice is, how very calm it is. If you were a doctor and you told me I had four minutes to live, I'd probably take it quite well uh, because you sound so calm.
0: Maybe there's a service I can provide to doctors doing, a, I guess, a recorded message they could play to their... Delivering bad news. Yeah. hold
1: on one second we're just going to put Phil on <laughs> yeah.
0: you have weeks to live the good
1: news is <laughs> it's summer
0: well maybe as a producer you can pimp me out to uh to someone who needs that that calm ex-producer. and producer
1: ex-producer
0: ex-producer okay <laughs> so as an ex-producer um it's all about I guess the purpose of the show as you see I had to work in the, the term purpose early on here
1: very well done um,
0: So I imagine you have to be very objective and filter out your own biases and opinions. And I find that really hard. So tell me about that.
1: Um, Everything that I ever did was about the audience and not about me and what I personally wanted to say or to make. Uh, Because I'm not a huge fan of big reality shows. But when you make one and you make it number one, everyone wants you to make their show because it's the most money a network is going to spend that year. And they're terrified of giving that money away it can be between 20 and 30 million. You know, it's a lot of money. Uh, and if you make that show, well, it will come back next year. And, you know, something like big brother, that's 2000 people with a job next year. I uh, think QA is still going that's employed, you know, hundreds of people for 10 years, maybe longer, maybe 12 years. I can't remember. Uh, so You just think about the audience and I would say to anyone who's listening, think about your audience all the time. What do they want? What are their problems? How are you solving them? How can you serve them a dish that they want in a way that is palatable? Do they want a buffet? Do they want fine dining? Do they want something quick? You know, what is it? It's not about you. It is always, always about your audience. I obsess about the audience, which is why. I could happily make Big Brother and then make a book show. I made a book show for the ABC. It was one of the highest rating shows they've ever had. Uh, but you, know, you can imagine that call. <laughs> so, <laughs> hello. Uh, you know, would you like to make Big Brother? Not really, but I'll do it. Uh, would you like to make a book show? You know, see previous, I've just made Big Brother. Yes. But you know, what you understand is audiences. And I think it was George Lucas who said, if I could be in the mind of a 13-year-old girl, I'd be very rich. He'd also probably be in jail. (laughs) But I think um, if you can put yourself in someone else's mind in everything you do, you will very probably be successful. So you think when I walk into that room and I am pitching for a new job, uh, for venture capital, for a new business, for a place on the board, it is not about what you want to say. It is about what they want to hear. And when you're smart, you will sweat about that and you will deliver what they want to hear in a way that is very palatable and you will probably get what you want.
0: So that's interesting. Now, I'm still a bit stuck on the idea of mashing up Big Brother and the book show together. That that would probably work for me because I like books Opposites and I like reality.
1: generally work. You know, they. there was a guy in the UK called Peter Basiljet. His great, 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 great grandfather created the sewerage system. <laughs> in London. Right. Very forward-thinking individual. Uh, so obviously, you know, he did it back in the oldy, oldie, 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 oldy oldie days. Uh, counted the number of people in London, doubled it, and you know, so the story goes, times it by a hundred, because he thought this place will only grow. So it's the same sewer system. You know, how incredibly clever is that? He's thinking about his students Uh Peter Basilger, uh Baz, he would uh, put together genres that shouldn't work. So he created uh, Ready, Steady, Cook. He said, uh, why don't we make a cooking show that is also a quiz show? Mm. Uh, He did Ground Force. Why don't we make a gardening show that is also a reality uh, and hidden camera show? Why don't we? So he would mash together genres that shouldn't really work. And that's my favorite thing is when things that shouldn't work, work. When people think the opposite to everybody else, I find that utterly fascinating.
0: Yeah, I love it too. And I'm, uh, so I don't want to get stuck on this, but I'm just noticing at the moment we've had, say, Survivor on TV, and then Alone Australia, which, and they're both, I guess, Survivor-themed shows, but they're so so different in in the way they're constructed and everything about them.
1: Yeah, my friend Charlie came up with Survivor, and he's one of the most creative people I know. And uh, I've asked, he had a business partner. Uh, And they're still great mates, Waheed Ali, Lord Waheed, who is one of the cleverest people I've ever met. So Charlie and Waheed were brilliant together because Charlie was incredibly creative uh, and less of a business mind. Waheed was the most incredible business mind, but also creative. Uh, So together, they were phenomenal. And this is the story. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. I suspect it is true that when Survivor was on in the States, the first series, it wasn't really working. It was fine. It wasn't brilliant. And it was so new. It was so different. It was the first reality show, really the first kind of big one. And they'd recorded it. So they knew that it really kicked off and it became astounding and really, 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 really interesting. There's a guy called I think his name was Richard Hatch. And um, he just became like the best contestant ever. He just took his clothes off and set fishing and, you know, just really eccentric, Uh, the kind of person that comes into your life very rarely and when they do you just go we're fine we've got a hit let's all make scars uh so the halfway through and the network called them in and said we are a bit nervous about this and the advertisers are a bit skittish and waheed and charlie said we will buy all the advertising between now and the end of the run so don't be nervous you're going to get your money whatever happens but keep the show on air we promise you this show will work Uh, So the network kind of, well, that seems like a win-win-win-win-win. We'll take the money, thanks ever so much. By the end of the season, uh, Survivor Series 1, something like, I can't remember, some enormous figure, like 57% of the available audience, so 57% of everyone who was looking at a TV that that night was looking at Survivor. And they sold the advertising back for 100 times what they'd bought Mm. it for. Uh, And the show was a huge success. I like people who think differently and don't really take no for an answer, who just say, you know, we can make this work. Because you can generally make most things work. You know, if it's a good idea, you have to just be very creative about how you deliver it, you know, if you have a good idea. Uh, And they, yeah, those guys were phenomenally, phenomenally clever uh, and worked to, you know, each other's strengths perfectly. So they
0: clearly understood the dynamic of what they're producing and, I guess I was just wondering about that situation, um, and sorry to cut you off there a little bit. To what extent is the pitch more important? Yeah, I guess you're saying there's network executives who maybe didn't understand how that format was going to work. So, you know, there's the con, the content or the concept, and then there's the pitch to get it on something. And you've probably worked in, I guess, in in those all those levels.
1: Yeah, so here's the thing. People say to me constantly, "Well, people think it's very easy to pitch an idea and get a show made." It's almost impossible. Like any show that gets to air is a miracle. Because, so what do you think the turn down rate is at the ABC? So, for every hundred ideas that are pitched, how many of those hundred ideas do you think they buy, Phil?
0: Oh, I'm, I'm guessing it's. Um, it's not many of the hundred ideas. It's less than one. I'm guessing.
1: One point five.
0: One so hour. that's
1: 100 ideas that have been worked on for at least a month, probably longer. I mean, some people will work on an idea for a year before they'll pitch it. So you think that's an enormous amount of work never seeing the light of day. Mm. Uh, so the turn down rate is really hard. Um, to get the show, you have to do an incredible pitch. But you have to know that the show works and you don't know if a show works until you make it.
0: Mm. So this is all yeah. before pilot shooting.
1: Yeah. Most people don't pilot now because they don't have the money to pilot. So a pilot is like if you're getting married and you do a test run and you kind of go, well, look, that was really boring. And, you know, and you try the food and you go, well, the cheese didn't work, with the salmon did it, so we'll drop. You know, you don't know until you taste it and until you live it, until you walk through it, until you rehearse it. Uh, and you think you know, but anyone who... Anyone who walks into a pitch with me and they say this will definitely work, I know they don't know television because nothing will definitely work. Uh. Nothing. And, you know, I remember making the recruit with um, Eddie McGuire's company. And just before it went to air, I remember we were all in the pub and Eddie said, will this work? And I said, look, I really don't know. I was like, I can tell you in about three minutes whether it will work or not because we will see the response on Twitter. and." Judging from that response, it's a very small audience, but they're probably are reflecting the big audience. Uh, if they like it, then yeah, probably it will work. All I can say is that no one would have tried harder, thought more creatively, um, you know, being more strategic. But what I can promise you is I don't know. And that's because I'm an expert. And anyone who tells you it will definitely work, I suspect isn't an expert because, you don't really know. It's like when, you know, no surgeon will say to you, 100%, this will work, you'll walk out, you'll be fine. They will say, look, you know, the success rate is very good. And, you know, I'm very good at this, and this operation has been performed, you know. But there is always, you know, when you go under the knife, there is always a risk. Mm. Uh, and you trust those people because you think, oh, I mean, you're smart, you know your stuff. Uh, anyone tells you it's 100% certainty, apart from death and taxes, uh there isn't really, I think. Mm.
0: So how do you feel in that moment when you're in that first three minutes of the show being aired? Um
1: I can sleep soundly because I think I've done my best. I've thought about this from every direction. I'm very good at thinking. I'm not going to do your budgets or your schedules. Uh eight, because I find them boring. And I'm not very good at doing stuff that I don't really want to do. <laughs> uh but I have a very, very, very creative mind. And it's chicken and egg. Did I have that? And that's why I got into this business or did I train my brain to think very differently because I'm in this business? I don't know. Uh, you, you I think about audiences an enormous amount and I'm very respectful of audiences in everything I do, you know, I'm very respectful of your audience now and try and share as much of the contents of my brain that I think can help them as possible. Uh, I do that on TV shows. I do it when I'm, you know, working with big companies because I think if you've got your workforce out for an hour and a half or three hours, sometimes I need to make sure that I deliver an incredible amount of value because they're not working and you're paying me. So it's, you know, the double whammy. Uh, So I think when you think about your audience forensically and you are not a lazy thinker and you think very hard, then generally things will work Uh, and the moment you think oh we've nailed this show we'll just make it like this forever your show won't work because Mm -hmm. you have to reinvent it constantly and if you don't reinvent it you can see shows dying you know sometimes I watch shows and I think this won't last the season this will be gone because you're all a bit lazy you've just dialed it in a bit and you think it's fine and fine is not good enough
0: so, I want to transplant that thought process into, say, any environment. And you and I have met in the professional speaker circles, and in that industry, you get imposter syndrome from time to time when you're asked to do something. and You go, "Wow, I've never spoken to them before. I've never spoken to that many people before." And you go, "Am I really the right person?" All the while, you're going to your client, "Oh, yes, of course, it's me." And I got some advice once from a, I think, it was a coach or uh, someone I was seeking some help from, and they said, "Well." as long as you're doing your best and you care about what you're delivering, then you can't really ask much more than that. So you can sort of absolve yourself. So it might work or not, but at least you've tried hard, you've cared about the outcome and you've done your best, which is sort of what I'm hearing you saying, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm a really simple soul. I just do my best. (laughs) And, you know, there are jobs I've turned down. You know, an advertising, big advertising agency called me and um, they said, we really want help thinking. And I had a meeting with them and, and I said to them, you know, I'd love your money because, you know, I'd really, I really do love money very much. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to add value because advertising people and TV people, we're very similar. And I don't think, you know, you take me out of advertising or television and I think in such an unusual way, but you put me in a room with advertising and television, I don't really. I think, you know, in an unusual way in that environment. Um, but I have turned down work, you know, I, I met someone very recently who wanted me to, um, to do some producing work with them. And, uh, I was saying to them, yeah, yeah, I just don't think you need it. I, I just don't think you need anyone. You're brilliant. You know, you deliver stories really, really well. You look great. You're charismatic. You know, if you want a comfort blanket, I'll be around for a bit, but actually, you know, there, there are people who really need me and you're not one of them. You know, you're, you're brilliant. You know, they're really high profile, and I say, Yeah, I do. You know, I just I, there's very little I would change, and um, you know, maybe you should have someone else who would change you a lot, but uh, you know, so I do turn down work, but I think no one invites you to speak or make a TV show, uh, because they couldn't find anyone else. You know, people used to say to me, Well, oh, your show's been number one, you know you've been lucky. And I always say to them, uh, I wasn't lucky. <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't just luck that made all of them number one. I think it was a bit harder than luck. I've been blessed. But, you know, I was smart. I surrounded myself with really clever people and I encouraged them to think harder than they've ever thought before in their lives. And I encouraged them to be very, very strategic and research the audience and see what everyone else in the world was doing and be more creative and be more interesting, and more fun you know, just say, you know, make it funnier, make it funnier. I'll be back in an hour, make it funnier, you know, build the tension more, build the tension more, build the tension more, I'll be back in an hour. Uh, So, you know, I encourage them to really work very hard. And that works, really. I mean, it works for you because you think, well, I've done my best. But, you know, sometimes you'll serve up a meal that no one likes. And sometimes you'll serve up a meal that everyone likes. And, you know, if you research your audience very, very well, you have a better chance of knowing what they want. Um, you know, but it's hard to pitch a new cola into the market when Coca-Cola works. You know, it's very hard to say to you know, a supermarket, why don't you drop Coca-Cola and take my unknown cola? I've got a good track record with cola. However, this is unknown. Uh, would you like to try it? For the same price as coca-cola and there's every chance they'll say we've got coca-cola it's working we won't we're fine and that's what you know every idea is you can keep going with the idea that's working it's market leader uh of course you know someone took a punt on coca-cola otherwise coca-cola wouldn't exist uh, and your job is to encourage them to buy your new cola and it's hard
0: i've always looked at the biscuits in the Uh, biscuit aisle the supermarket and noticed from time to time brands like Tim Tams come out with something completely new that you've never heard of before it'll be marshmallow and and peanuts or who knows some weird Tim Tams and they they never (laughs) work they never last
1: but you have to keep doing it because you have to keep you know it's a bit like uh we've got here quickly a bit like having sex uh you know every Sunday morning at 9 30 uh if you're not having any sex at all then that's great uh, but then eventually we will be like, oh, dear Lord. Uh, so Tim Tams are great. If you have too many Tim Tams, you want something slightly different. Uh, and, you know, they're clever. If you've got a good idea, why would you not try and find every good idea that's a spin-off of it? You know, the old people's home for four-year-olds. You know, they now have the old people's home for teenagers. They'll have the old people's home for, you know, reformed prisoners. They'll have... If they're clever they'll keep reinventing their brand you know like coca-cola do you know we've got coke light we, there was coke green for a while wasn't there i'm not quite sure what that one was, but was in the last
0: that month. sounds sounds frightening
1: yeah terrifying uh, cherry coke, up, also awful
0: picking up on your theme of sex um i was looking on your website and you know one of the names that stuck out Roots to me was the up. sex symbol um david hasselhoff <laughs> so, oh. i'll put some uh, links to to your website in the show notes but I'm going to ask you, um, you're welcome to unpack any secrets of anyone, but if you had to pick a show or project you were immensely proud of, what would that be and why?
1: Um, the So, a uh, slightly stranger story. When the best part of my career, I think, or certainly the standout moment of my career, is not you know, winning Logies or Astros or BAFTAs or, you know, Rose de Montreux or, you know, I've won, well, I, the teams that I've worked with and the shows that I've worked on have won an enormous number of awards. They've been number one. They've employed lots of people. That's great. This my job. Uh, and when I was at Fremantle and I was doing the X Factor, Farm Wife, Celebrity Apprentice, um, when I left, they had, uh, you know, those absolutely, bow shrivelingly awful, drinks things in the office, like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, people make speeches about you, and you think, oh, I'd really just like to go in there." thanks, and there was a guy there that I didn't really recognize, but I, thought, I kind of, I sort of half recognize you, I'm not terribly sure who you are, and he came up to make a speech, and he said, I can tell you're half recognizing me, but you don't really know who I am, I said, exactly, no idea, and he said, um, I'm that teacher from that school that you came to talk at, as part of the Sony Foundation I went, oh my god yes I remember that yeah your kids were really cool and he said um you know so I'll tell everyone the story and you know so at Fremantle you know the very kindly used to do stuff at the Sony Foundation and you'd go off and uh, I'd said yeah I'll, you know go and feed people who are experiencing homelessness and we did that And um, I'll go and speak in, uh, you know, school and do an inspiring talk, rah, rah. And then, of course, I completely forgot about saying that I would ever go to a school. And uh, the day came and I'd completely forgotten that I was going. And got into the office and they said, oh, look, so the car's coming to pick you up in an hour. Oh, where am I going? They said, oh, to that school in uh, Blacktown to talk to the kids. What kids? Uh, About what? So (laughs) I was terribly prepared. And I arrived and I said to the teacher, uh, because... it's the audience, you know, it's about the audience, not about me. And he said, I'll oh, just tell them your life story. And I said, What could be less interesting for these children? What's your problem? How can I help you solve it? And he said, Okay, I'll tell you my problem. They don't come to school. I went, okay. So I thought, okay, so I need to try and encourage these kids to go to school. So I just had a really honest chat with them and said um, that you can be a statistic or not. And actually, the choice is yours right now. Now, you're all sitting there and you're slumped, and some of you look a bit grubby. And I don't care how poor you are and how bad your circumstances are at home, you can clean yourself. You really can. And you can come in here looking like someone I would like to take to a meeting with me. So that's what I want you to do tomorrow. I want you to come and brush your hair and just, you know, scrub your little face and come in and sit up straight. And when you meet me, shake my hand and look me in the eye and say, How do you do? It's a pleasure to meet you. And be interesting. Okay. Because you can change the stats you can be a cliche and you can you know amount to nothing or you can be the first people in your you know your family to do really well at school and the choice is absolutely your choice and you can pretend it isn't but it kind of is you know and I said so I run the x-factor and you can come as my guests to the x-factor to sit in the rehearsals, you'll meet all of the stars, you'll meet whichever celebrities are on, and we have people like Beyonce and Pink and big stars on. Uh, You'll meet uh, all the judges and you can be the stand-ins. So all the judges having their hair and makeup done when rehearsing shots, you can sit in the judges' chairs and be the judges. But you can only do it if you come to school every single day. You miss a day, you're not coming. So I'll be really clear about that. You miss one day, you are not coming. You come in every day, you are my guest. Mm -hmm. Nobody, is my guest. This happens very rarely. You can all come along. So uh came to the day and you know, 20 kids turned up and all, you know, beautifully dressed and blah blah. And um I said to the teacher, so how many are here? And he said, All of them. No, you're kidding. He said, No, every single kid has come to school since you said they could come to the X Factor, which is making me want to cry. And um, so he told this story, and then uh, I was thinking, Oh yeah, but I still don't really know why you're here. And he said, I want to read some of the letters that the kids wrote the next day when they came back, you know, that we got to do a project. And he read them out. And I was sobbing. And I am a TV producer. And we, the moment you start working in telly, your tear ducts are actually removed. So (laughs) you have no emotion and you don't cry about anything. And I was absolutely sobbing and uh you know these kids were writing things like nobody has told me i could ever amount to anything and this lady said if you work really hard you can be a judge on the x factor like mel b because mel b came from a tough background she didn't come from Mm -hmm. you know harrods yeah she you know i said all of them have earned their place and if you work really hard there is a direct relationship between hard work and success and you can pretend there isn't but there is and if you work really hard you listen to your teachers said so, you know if you want to meet celebrities you've got to be interesting you've got to be interesting you've got to read the news you've got to know what's going on in the world you've got to have topics that you can speak about you've got to look good you've got to be groomed so you've got to do this and they all wrote about it and you know I'm going to work really really hard I've already started to read the news I feel like I'm more interesting I've started to read books and he said, do you remember, there's one little girl who just kept asking me questions about my handbags and, you know, where'd you get your haircut? Is your handbag real? Uh, and he said um, she started to dress like you, which did worry me because she was about 13. I thought she was going to look like <laughs> a little 13-year-old sex worker because I think, I can't remember what I wore that that day, but it certainly wasn't something a 13-year-old should be wearing. Uh, but I think that is my best show. That's mm. the thing I think I'm most proud of. And yeah. you know, it's lovely to make something like Q&A because you think some very difficult conversations have been had uh, that needed to be had and that need to be had. So I'm very happy that that one worked. And we thought very hard about how can we make a current affairs show that people will watch, um, not just a tiny number of people, but a broad audience. And current affairs and broad audiences don't normally go together, but it's worked so and I'm proud of that one. I'm proud of anything that has employed lots of people and that has made people successful. Mm. And, uh, you know, that gives me great joy when I see people having careers that didn't have careers before. I love that.
0: So you talked about the kids and the, the teacher. Um, in terms of people who are well-known performers, has anyone really surprised you?
1: Um, people surprise me all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, most people are really kind and really lovely. Uh, Yeah, most people are really really nice. I remember Elton John being on The X Factor and um, he wanted to leave early. Uh, And The X Factor is produced like a military operation, you know, the... You get in at that time of day, and the lighting, and you know this, and you know catering, set up the tent, and wardrobe, and the arms are switched on, and you know that. So all of it is down to minute detail of you know everything being done, and it works. You know we rehearsed it, we know it works perfectly. And he wanted to record in the afternoon and leave before the live show, which meant that we had to get an audience in at two o'clock, then let them go. Then get them back again because you've got to have the same audience because you've got audience shots and you've got people sitting behind the judges. Mm-hmm. They can't be different people, you know, they're going to be the same people mm-hmm. because otherwise you'll go, oh, yeah. So um, we were a bit grumpy about it. And I was a bit grumpy about it. And uh, I said to the record company, I said, you have to? Do you really have to? You know, does he not just do the show? And um, she's like, you know, yeah, he, he does. You know, and it's part of the agreement of him doing it. And I go, Yeah, fine. Yeah. And um, then uh, I met him and he said, oh, you're a bit grumpy with me, aren't you? I said, no, I kind of was. And um, he said, look, the reason I want to leave early is David and I said, and David's his partner, when we had children, that we would co-parent and that we would both be there for bath time and we would be there, you know, to put them to bed. And he said, you know, I'm in a privileged position. I can ask for that to happen. And I made this promise and that's, you know, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought you just wanted to nip home and you know watch home and away. And uh, so I, feel, I feel terrible. I feel terrible about having a winch now. Uh, so yeah, most people, you know, most people are very charming and you know and very nice, really. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I really like Gretel who did Big Brother. I really like the judges and the X Factor. Luca hosted the X Factor, is lovely. am mates with Mark Boris you know, mates with pretty much, you know, everyone that I've worked with and um, still see a lot of the contestants, you know, a lot of the contestants and I stay in touch. Because uh, when you've been through something like a big show, it's very weird, weird thing to do. So you feel quite bonded. And, you know, and we all try and help each other, uh, mm. you know, as much as we can. So it's um, it's like a big dysfunctional family. Somehow it seems to
0: work. So I found on your website that, quote, um, which marries up with what you said of indigo i think it's not my job to be interested it's your job to be interesting which yeah. i love and i i'd love you to relate the story because i heard you talk about this at a recent conference about farmer dave and why he stood out in your I... application process
1: yeah so every um every show is very 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 different and when you're casting big brother you have to put yourself into the minds of a Big Brother audience. Now I'd never watched Big Brother really before working on it. Um I'd watched it, you know, a tiny bit just because you've got to keep your finger in the pie. Um, but I knew that the uh the housemates that worked were clever, funny, warm, likable, young, uh, with a point of difference. And we, I've interviewed probably about 12,000 people in my career. So I've met and interviewed an enormous number of people. So I'm very, very good, I think, at reading people when they walk into a room. You know, I'll read what they're wearing and their body language and whether they eyeball me if they shake hands with me. What's the handshake feel like? Do they smile? Are they slouched? Are they standing up straight? Are they confident? They're not confident. You you go through all of that. And uh, Farmer Dave came in and um, he is very handsome and his form and you you know you scan through the form very quickly because you only meet these people for three minutes You in three minutes you have to decide whether that person or the other five thousand people are going to be great on a tv show it's you know it really is like throwing a dart into martin place you know it is it's hard uh but you know you do your best and he had been to i can't remember like 25 countries or 50 countries and and he traveled and he was really interesting. You look at him, oh, God, it's so interesting. And um, we have signs up everywhere because you wait around for a long time. Uh, so you do this big audition, and then you go into the next room and you're whittle down to the next room, and then you're whittle down to the next room. And he was coming to us in the final room. So he'd sat down a lot of the day and read this notice that said, don't be general, don't tell us you're the life and soul of the party. You're a real people person. You really want to win it. You want to meet more people. Don't tell us stuff that's really general. When you speak in really general terms, we can't remember you. We need to know why you're different to everybody else, everybody else out there. Why are you different? What's your unique selling point? And we have that up in every room. But people will still come in and they will say, I'm the life and soul of the party. I really want to win this. I really want to meet people. And you go, We did tell you not to say that. Uh, and anyway, Farmer Dave came in and uh, he gave me his form and I scanned again and I said, Oh, you've, been, you've traveled extensively and you know, why do these interesting jobs? And I said, Oh my God, you're single. How is it possible that you are single? Because he is an extraordinarily charismatic and attractive human. And he said this, uh, which is such a great one line. He said, It's hard to find a farmer's wife when you're looking for a man. And we all just went, Yeah, it would be yes you know it's not like you're going to go down the road to you know the local club you're living somewhere wildly remotely of course wow that's so interesting and i can remember that 22 years on so when people say something interesting you you remember them there was a girl called constance hall constance is now an influencer And I said, don't tell me you're the life and soul of the party. You're a real people person. You really want to win it, blah, blah. she said, I'm not a people person. That would be interesting about me. I don't like people. I find them really disappointing. Even friends. They say they're going to do something. They rarely do. I am not a people person. I remember thinking, I really like you. (laughs) How (laughs) nice that you're different and honest. And actually self-reflective because you think how many people really are people people probably not that many Hmm. how does it mean anyway i'm a people person such a strange thing to say isn't it
0: i think what struck me about the farmer dave story too was you have this vision that people you know they're famous once they get on the stage and they'll probably go off and do this show and that show but his whole story was around he i think he'd been doing youth work and now he's been back doing youth work in country regions ever since so Um, He he seems seems like a great person. uh, seems like he's grown from the whole experience.
1: He's, he's, uh, I think, an amazing individual. He runs, um, uh, I'm going to probably get this completely wrong, he'll probably call me and go, you idiot, which would be very fair. Uh, He runs uh, projects for kids that I think have been doing it tough and are a bit tough. And they work with him and they look after animals and they do lots of kind of country stuff and his turnaround rope, the kids, is incredible. And he gives them purpose and reason and pride in themselves. And, you know, your thing, purpose, giving them purpose. And I think that's the most beautiful thing you can give someone, isn't it? We came up with a a TV show. Uh, I think it was called The Soup Kitchen. And we were sitting in Darlinghurst, and there was a lady there who asked us for some money and cigarettes. She was living on the streets. And then we saw her a little bit later and she was sleeping in the doorway. And I thought, that woman doesn't have purpose. I wonder if her life would be different if she had to be somewhere at a certain time and do something. And we came up with this idea for a TV show where we would get um, celebrity chefs to create a soup kitchen and people who are living on the streets to run it. Uh, and they would have to turn up every day, you know, and shower, and eat, and you know, change their clothes, go into the kitchen. They'd be, you know, supervised. They would be taught how to, you know, work with vegetables, and to eventually how to grow vegetables. And you know, so, and they would earn a wage from it. Uh, and then you could franchise it, and you could put one in, you know. Uh, so it's kind of reality show meets the charity show meets the apprentice meets, you know, whatever. Uh, and the reason we thought about it is we thought. We would really like these people to have purpose, to have a reason to be awake at eight o'clock, not you know, nine o'clock or ten o'clock or three o'clock in the morning or whatever o'clock, but actually to have to be somewhere and to do a really great day's work and to feel like you've achieved something and you're working to the greater good. And so I think um I think what Dave's doing is amazing. I think what you're doing is amazing because I think when you have purpose, your life has Meaning and your purpose can be, you know, to live the happiest life possible, it doesn't have to be work, and you don't have to be the best unless you really want to. Uh, but I think when you have, you know, when you have purpose and community, uh, you're very much on the right track, I think. But you know, what do I know?
0: <laughs> well, I think the great thing about working in this field is it's not that hard, as you say, as you point out. I'd like to make it something mystical, but I think people get overly romantic about the idea of purpose um it's pretty simple it's about having some sort of goals um it's really you know purpose is about an outcome or getting to some point which is really at the end of the day it's about goals and those things have to be meaningful to you you
1: you say it like that because you're in that world that's right but when you're not in that world how many people really wake up in the morning and think what's my goal today what's my bigger goal And I talk about goals a lot saying, you have some posts in the ground, you don't know if you've kicked a goal, you've got to have, you know, some boundaries around what it is that you are doing, if you want to know that you're being successful at it. Um, But setting yourself tiny goals. uh, Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So whilst it is easy, I think the best ideas are often the simplest, Mm. you know, and you know, some people talk about you know, I don't even know regenerative you know uh, you know words that I think what does that even mean? Uh, <laughs> and they oh just be just keep it simple. I was on a Zoom uh, you know, six months ago, and um, it was a catch up for all the speakers. And someone said something, and uh, one of the speakers said, "Why don't we resurface that when we convene?" And I spent the next minute thinking. What that mean? And what they meant was when we meet up, let's chat about it. And eventually I went, Oh, you mean let's chat about it? And then I had to go, Oh, I'm so sorry. I was trying to work out what you'd said. And I thought, Your job as a communicator is to make it as simple as possible. That's your actual job. It's not to make it harder for people to understand. You know, my job in tele wasn't to make scripts and ideas so difficult that you had to work really hard. It was to make it really simple. So you didn't, you know, because you've got enough going on. My job is to take something very complicated and make it simple. You know, anyone can take something complicated and make it complicated. There's no skill in that. And taking something very simple and making it complicated, there's no, you know, very little skill in that. But there's some incredible skill in taking something that's very complicated and making it simple, which is what you've just said and done. So when you say it's simple, it's simple when you've given it the amount of thought that you have and you have taken the essence of it and the absolute core of it, uh, then it becomes simple. But it's very difficult to do that. You watch, you know, read, you know, any headlines and, you know, read newspaper reports or news reports, and um, they're very rarely simple Uh And actually, that's the job. The job is to curate complicated into understandable Mm. and meaningful and actionable. And if you can do that, uh, that's a real skill, I think.
0: I did some work with, um, I uh, should mention, a guy called Matt Church several years ago, and he had a phrase. I love Matt. Yeah, which was around, um, you're tempted to say, I'm going to dumb this down, but, but he used the term smarten it down because that's really what you're doing. You're taking often complex ideas and making them simple
1: yes he's very uh Matt's very smart uh but will speak in a way that everybody in the room understands and I trained as a journalist and then you know became TV and then film producer so you know my job was to make things as simple as possible and when I say simple I don't mean you know, being patronising mm. uh, to your audience because audiences are very sophisticated. But it's taking out the layer of complexity mm. uh, that clear. doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Yeah, clear and that, understandable, yeah. Uh, yeah, curating, curating information uh, mm. I think is, um, is a real skill and I think it's something humans are very good at.
0: And so you're now working a lot with CEOs. You're an ex-producer, as you say, but you said... <laughs> You said um, off air to me that being a CEO is like being a producer. So tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I think of every business. So people would say to me uh, about TV and I'd say, look, when I was the boss of, you know, the X Factor or the Celebrity Apprentice, essentially I was the CEO of that company. And I had to take that business and I had to make it very successful uh and whatever investment the network gave us, we would probably times it by 10. And you think that's a really, really, really good return on your investment in a year. You know, and it was actually less than a year. It was probably half a year that we would spend uh making the show. And you you know, budgets are small in TV. People think budgets are huge, they're not, they're small. So the celebrity apprentice, uh, we would be told that we were making the show, we'd have 12 weeks to make it. Uh, and The 12 weeks would include my boss saying to me, on Friday at three o'clock, on Monday, we're going to start making The Celebrity Apprentice. It's your show. And I would say, "Okay, uh, where are we going to make it? And he'd say, it's your show. So on Friday, I would try and find a production manager. I had a production that was free. And of course, they're not free. They're all working because They're not just sitting in the cupboard waiting for me to call them. They're all very clever people who are working. So you would have 60 days, essentially, to make that show, 60 working days. And that includes finding an office, uh, finding the rest of the staff, who are also all working, desks, laptops, lamps, you know, just everything. And then you have to actually make the show. So you'd have to watch a whole load of them so you know what you're making because, you know, if you haven't made the celebrity apprentice, you haven't made it. Then you have to find the celebrities uh, and that know, you know, they're not all sitting in the cupboard waiting for you to call them up to say, "Hi, I know you've got nothing on for the next three weeks. You might be on the show, so it's um, they're very complicated. It's very complicated, complicated to um, to make those shows, and then you've got to build the set because there isn't just a room that looks like a boardroom. You've got to build it, which means you've got to find a set designer who isn't working. Uh, they've got to find you know chippies and tradies and electricians who aren't working." Uh, And eventually, in 60 days, you go from zero to action. And it's an incredible amount of work. And by the way, you know, while I'm making that, I'm also making the X Factor. So I'm spinning, you know, that plate and that plate. Uh, When you are the CEO, you are the host of your show because there's only one of you. And you are the brand. And everything trickles down you know, the way you behave and what you say and how encouraging or discouraging you are, how creative you are, how pushy you are, you know, I want you to try harder, I want you to try harder, you know, don't ask the same questions everyone else asks, it's redundant, you know, and having the time to be creative, you know, 60 days to make a show, build a set, find celebrities, you know, it's essentially putting on, you know, you think about the Celebrity Apprentice, it's, so we record for maybe three weeks or a month, so you think that's twenty? Essentially, twenty weddings you're putting on, back to back to back to back to back, and bear in mind that we are when we're making the show, people are turning up and giving us donations of, you know, five dollars, eight dollars, twelve dollars, thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, and we're producers and we're having to take that money in, assign it to all the different celebrities, uh, and at six o'clock next morning, from having finished finished a challenge. We have to have it all aligned to the certain celebrities, all added up, all accounted for. Um, and we're not a bank, you know, we're TV producers. <laughs> I can barely add up. Uh, so they're, it's, it, they're very complicated. So you have to think of every single branch of your business, your TV show. You've got to be across all of it and you're the figurehead. And of course, you want people to listen to you, but people have to want. To listen to you, which is you gotta think about the audience, you know, the how do you speak to them in a way that they want to hear you? What are you saying that resonates with them? How you know why are they finding you interesting? I think lots of people think because they're talking, people are listening, and that's rare. Mm. Most of the time, people are talking and no one is listening. <laughs> mm. And I... the key is to be listened to.
0: Do you think this is more important, and I'm going to throw in some jargon, which you'll probably hate, um, the concept of servant leadership, where the the leader has gone from the person who tells people what to do to being more the coach um, and serving them to be their best. So I imagine the skills you're talking about will be more in demand, possibly in this this environment.
1: Um, Look, I I think leadership is quite simple. You know, I never really thought about it very much. I mean, you know, I, some, I say to people, I had a, a lot of an awful lot of bosses and a lot of awful bosses, uh, and they were brilliant because I knew I didn't want to be like them. And you know, I've worked for bullies and people who were absolutely Machiavellian and would openly lie to me, and you know, <laughs> like really dodgy characters. Uh, and rather than you know, sob into my soy flat white. Uh, I would pay attention and think, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. I promised myself when I was a boss and a leader, uh, I would just be the kindest version of me I could be. Uh, And, you know, I really did think about what I would be like, not what being a leader was like, but I thought, you know, the people who are the most difficult will need the most love, but they're going to be the ones I don't really want to love. So I'm going to have to try harder with them. Because uh, it's very easy to love people who are very lovable. It's very difficult to love people who are openly hostile to you, who don't <laughs> want you there. Uh, but they need the most love, really. Um, how do I get everyone on board? Am I very clear about the goals? You know, I was always very clear with my team uh, that when I met them, uh, you know, and employed them, I'd say, if you're interested in being third, you're not going to like this show. But if you're interested in being on the number one show in Australia and probably leaving us next year and earning 25% more and being completely in demand, uh then come here because you'll you'll work very, very hard, but you will laugh your head off every day. You'll meet incredible people, you have a really great time, but it will be hard work. Probably harder than you've worked before. And I don't mean longer hours, although the hours probably will be quite long, but it's um you know harder thinking. You're gonna be thinking harder. So I think if you're I, I think kindness is really underrated in business. And I think I would look back and I, I think it's probably been one of my uh, skills that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm quite nice, quite a nice person, uh, you know, on a good day. Uh, and, you know, I treat the people around me like they're my friends because I think they're kind of half. Oh, I'm going to spend all day with them. We'll like each other because you're in the trenches together and it's hard and uh, you make TV shows and you're very much in the public firing line. And you should be, you know, and you're in the press and, you know, you're on the news. You know, I've had John Howard trying to shut down my shows. I've had, you know, endless headlines. And, um, you know, you make mistakes. the are very public ones. Mm. And you also, you know, you decide how you deal with mistakes. I always try to be very honest and say we really goofed up uh, and I'm telling you uh, what we did. <laughs>
0: it, you know, a lot of jobs are very accountable um CEO jobs of any type of business or company but your job that producer job or ex-producer job sounds like it it is so accountable when you're in the public eye in such a way yes and that doesn't scare you so that you must be a special type of person who doesn't get scared
1: uh no I mean I think I did make a decision that I would sort of laugh about it because I think no you know, without being too deep and I'm hardly, you know, a Buddhist monk, but, uh, I do think about happiness. And I think you have a choice every day, the same things will happen to you and you have no control over it, but what you have a hundred percent control over is how you react. And we had a bomb scare, uh, on big brother in the UK. And it was when there were lots, there was a lot of terrorist activity. And I said to one of the guys who was really, really high up in the company, because I was uh, the boss, I think, of Big Brother at the time, and I said, we would be a great target, you know, if I was a terrorist, uh, to bomb something like the Big Brother house would get you press worldwide. So it's something we should just just think about a little bit, just up our security a little bit, which was, you know, very slack, really. Uh so we got the sniffer dog in and we, you know, we just wrapped it up. And the sniffer dog uh, was sniffing out explosives and uh, the and we just had it on the site, you know, before the live shows. And um, what these dogs do, uh, well, I think, uh, certainly this one, they are trained to sit down when they sniff out explosives. And the uh, handler came to me and said, um, you have explosives in your studio. Went, right, in what way? And they said, Well, I'll be clearer, you've got explosives in your studio. <laughs> went, oh, okay. Uh right, so we've got explosives in the studio. He said, Yes, see previous, you've got explosives. And I went, okay, well, your dog could 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 be wrong, question mark. Unlikely. I said, okay, mm-hmm. do you do tests? And said, Yeah, I've run the test four times. I've done the same thing. So I said, okay, do you mind if I watch the test? Because I'm gonna have to escalate this. Uh obviously. And uh so the you know, dogs in the van. And they put four swabs with explosives around the site and they let the dog go. And the dog's out and it's like that, ran over there, sat down. Right. And okay, next one, you know, Shep, off, goes to number two, sits down, goes to number three, sits down, goes to number four, sits down. Okay. Dog knows its business. Put the dog in the studio, runs over, sits down, take the dog out, put the dog back in, runs over, sits down, said, You've got explosives, right? Yes, apparently we do. So uh, this is like three hours before a live show. Uh, and we had to clear the studio, obviously. Uh, we had to get everyone off site. We had to get the housemates out of the house, put them in the canteen because they're not allowed to you know meet anyone, see anyone. You know, they're going to win. Uh, someone's going to win. And they're going to be very successful. So you have to make it an even playing field for everyone. So uh, there were a few people who were at a very senior level. Uh, one was sobbing absolutely just, you know, absolutely, just very, very disruptive, very upset. And, um, you know, I was thinking, well, this is happening. And we just need to deal with it. Uh, And uh, all the press were there, because obviously, you know, bomb at Big Brother House, good headlines, probably about, I don't know, I said probably about 40 or 50 press at the front. And I had to go and make, a, you know, go and talk to them. And This is what's happened and blah, 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 like a statement. And um, someone from the Sun said, um, you know, so can I ask you a few questions? But yes, of course. So answer the questions. And then this person from the Sun said, look, we've come all this way. Could you at least show us your boobs? Uh, and obviously it's wildly politically incorrect. But at the time, because it was so serious, everyone was sobbing, laughing. And you think... It was a very kind of British moment. You, know, this is so ridiculous, so utterly ridiculous. And I found my boss, and um, uh, I said, "Where have you been?" He said, "Oh, I was at the back with the sniffer dog, screaming at it." And uh, she won't really he said, no, "Of course I wasn't." But I thought everyone's dealing with this, and he was laughing his head off. He was saying, oh, "Bloody dog!" Uh, and I thought everyone deals with these things in a different way. And you can be laughing about it, like my boss, or you can be crying about it, like the other person on the team. Uh, and you can be the, you know, journalist that's driven across town because Elstree is the middle of nowhere uh, that's just whinging, or you can be the one that says something, you know, fantastic, in you know, politically incorrect, but uh, yeah. you know, actually, in that situation, quite funny. The same thing has happened to everybody that day everyone's experienced the same thing but everyone is taking away a different feeling and it is your choice in many ways how you deal with it so if people would write terrible things about us and people would write you know terrible things about me and uh all I had was my own code of conduct that I thought well you know people have written things about me that are absolutely not true and I did um I did um an interview on SBS on the feed and it was about um uh aftercare for people on reality shows. And I said to them that I won't talk about anyone else's show uh, ever. Uh, but I will talk about the industry in general because I think our aftercare is not good. I think it really needs to improve. And then they cut me together with a guy from The Bachelor and a woman from um The Biggest Loser, uh both of whom had, had uh, experiences they didn't enjoy. And when I watched it, uh I thought, this is random. I've, you know, a few of my friends called me and said, God, they've really stitched you up on this. And I hadn't seen it um, because I was overseas. And I watched it and I thought, God, this poor guy who's talking about how awful, you know, his experience was, is going to be watching it and then see me pop up and think, who's she? I've never laid eyes on her. And I've never made the bachelor i've never really watched it uh i've never made uh the biggest loser never met that woman she'd never met me and you think you have to have a code of conduct you know apart from the fact that it was very i think uh you know dishonest reporting because i complained to sbs and i said that you know anything that i've done i'm fine i'll stand by it but i've never made these shows and you know what's slightly more upsetting is these people are opening their hearts out to you know talking about what's happened to them, go and speak to the people they'd worked with. Give them a a right to reply. You know, make this a kind thing to do. instead, you've got me who said I won't talk about anyone else's show, looking like I'm talking about their shows. They look like they're talking about me and it's all a mess. So I think you have to, yeah, you have to have a code of conduct. You have to know what you will and won't do. I think you have to be kind. And um I think it is your choice how you deal with stuff. And I take my happiness very seriously.
0: (laughs) And look, you've got to finish the story, though, about the dog and the explosives. Was there explosives?
1: Uh, So we were at Elstree and it's Elstree Film Studio. So there were an enormous number of productions happening at that time. And a courier had come in and they'd been on the set of like Waterworld or one of the Mad Maxes. Uh, they had a delivery for us. They put their bag down in the special effects room on Mad Max. Uh, and in the special effects room, there were pyrotechnics. Huh. Uh, and when they picked their bag up again, there were pyrotechnics in the bottom of their bag. They then came into our studio to deliver something. They put their bag down, leaving traces of pyrotechnics that nobody else could smell, but this dog could. Uh, so there were explosives there. Um, and we had the army in, and the army did one of those controlled explosions, you know, with the little kind of thing that looks like a robot dog yep, yep. that goes in. And it was either going to be, because we didn't know at that time until afterwards, you know, what happened. Uh, so we didn't know because we couldn't go into the studio because there were explosives in there. We had to explode the explosives. And I think we knew that it was a parcel because I think the there's a camera on the little dog thing which, um, uh, you know, exploded it. Uh, but we didn't know if there was going to be you know, 14 sticks of dynamite in the parcel or uh you know a cigarette lighter. Uh so when there was a very small explosion, we went, great, should we all go for a beer? Uh so yes, that was it. But you know, you make you make these shows and that's just an average day at work. And you think, I'm not really qualified <laughs> on TV, which is not really qualified for a day at work. We have a you know a um you know a bomb scare that is a story that goes around the world in four minutes so it's um it's it's been weird it's been a weird job but you don't at the time you don't know it's weird you only know it's weird afterwards when mm, you speak to other people yeah. and they don't have those experiences you think oh yeah that's weird
0: well i'm very happy from the for the dog's perspective that it wasn't uh you know like a malfunction there so uh, the, the dog has a lot of integrity and great skill
1: incredible skills i love dogs mm.
0: I think um, when people go to Tasmania, they love it because there's always a beagle there waiting to sniff your bag to see if you're bringing in fruit and vegetables. But um, yeah. people, it's a great entertainment to see the beagle walking on the conveyor belt, sniffing all the bags. Everyone loves I it. I
1: am obsessed with dogs with jobs. So uh, my lovely business partner and I, Alison Black, we've talked about doing shows uh, with dogs with jobs uh, because we both really love dogs. And the fact they can do all these incredible things you know they can sniff out illness they can tell you if you're about to have an epileptic fit. I mean my god they're incredible little creatures.
0: Mm. Well and I would I would watch that. I would definitely watch that show.
1: I know I think it's a, I think it's a really really nice idea. No one no one bought it. Uh but you think your jobs, you know they, they do an awful lot of work dogs. Mm. Dogs do jobs. I
0: like dog. Yeah I like it. Mm. So as we could talk all day and um but you don't have all day. So I'm going to ask you three questions to finish up on. You've sort of alluded to some of these answers, but I just ask everyone the same three questions. What sure. does purpose mean to you in your life?
1: Um, oh. I mean, my first thought is it's a reason. Uh, but I think it might also be your code of conduct, that it's your purpose. Um And it's, it might be your job, you know, and I don't mean your job, you know, as a sandwich maker or, or, you know, building bridges, uh, but what your job is, you know, in the world to do and, um, you know, doing doing something useful. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, you know, being a producer isn't my purpose, but maybe uh, being able to communicate some stuff that matters probably is my purpose, I think, but I think it's very important to have purpose if you mm. you know if you want to. i think most people probably function better when they do have purpose
0: certainly and medical research says you live a lot longer if you have a greater sense of purpose than someone and you're happier
1: purpose, i think it's purpose and community equals happiness i think
0: there's all sorts of equations going around <laughs> um, yeah the
1: great thing is you can come up with these equations very few people are going to say actually you're wrong because there is no right so um, i was quite like those ones
0: yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan too um, second question, what are you looking forward to from here?
1: Um, you know, I'm very lucky that I'm quite jolly. I'm quite a jolly human. So I look forward to most things. I, I, you know, I said earlier I'm a very simple soul, and I really, 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 really am. You know, I um, you know, I, I would be invited to, you know, private concerts by Ed Sheeran or Pink or something I think I'd probably rather just go and have a drink with my friends in all honesty I'd rather a glass of wine with you know lolly and penny and you know just hang out Mm. uh yeah so I look forward to to most things I I'm looking forward to seeing how the world works itself out because I think it's an incredibly interesting time to be alive. I suspect that everyone says that when they're alive, because, (laughs) you know, it would be a terrible thing if you had generations of people go, it's such a dull time to be alive. But I think um, it's very interesting. It's the wild west of technology. It's the wild west of cybercrime. It's the wild west of AI. You know, the changes that we've seen are monumental. Um, But then, you know, every generation can say that, you know, people have lived through industrial revolutions and wars. And so, Um, you know, I'm probably making us a bit more important than we are.
0: Mm. Yeah, good one. Okay, and final question. This could be about career or life in general. From your journey, what's a tip you would leave to someone who's maybe earlier on in their career right now in terms of having a good career or a good life? Is there any one tip you think would stand out for you?
1: Uh, Yes, I think whatever you do, just do your best do your best and be yourself because that's all you've got and everything you need is inside your body right now uh and i have lots of friends who keep doing more and more courses you know i'll just do a course and then i'll feel like i'm ready for i'll just do another course and you think, you just don't really need to you are you know you're plenty enough i remember sitting one day with uh melby and there's a lot in telly we used to call it hurry up and wait because you're always hurrying, you know, can you be here, you know, quickly, 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 uh, I'll be with you in an hour. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sitting around, you're rushing, but you're sitting around and, uh, we were sitting uh, Brisbane or somewhere. And, um, we were about to load in the audience, uh, 2000 people. We were just sitting in the audience and, you know, the finishing off building the set and, uh, I said, you know, funny, isn't it? You, know, you think that, you know, we're just sitting there having a the cup of tea, it's 2000 people are going to be in here, shouting at you and disagreeing with you in, uh, you know, half an hour. And we're kind of laughing about it. And I said to her, what actually gives you the confidence to turn around to 2000 people and disagree with them? Because I said, I'd, I'd probably be inclined to agree, you know, kind of go, oh, you know, well, they loved you. So you're a yes. I said, but you're not like that. You'll go, no, I disagree with you. And they'll be booing you. And you just turn around and you go, shut up. When you've sold 70 million albums, come back and have a chat. And uh, we were kind of laughing about it. And I said, but really, what you know, what does give you the confidence to do it? And she said, I'm just myself. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, she's a bit puzzled by the question. She said, um, well, you just employ me to give you my opinion, don't you? So I do. She said, if I don't think they're good, then it's my job to say it. And if I think they're brilliant, it's my job to say it. So I'm just myself. I'm just honest. I'm just me. And that's her career. Her career is built on just being her. And I think we spend a lot of time thinking, you know, if I was a bit more like so-and-so or so-and-so and so-and-so, and -and and you think, no, be you. Uh, Because if you're like other people, you're like no one. But If you're very much like you you are Farmer Dave. You have something that is different and stands out and you need to have that. So I'd say don't make yourself a vanilla version of someone else, be the full version of you because that's brilliant.
0: Wonderful. So thanks for coming on, Maz, and being you. (laughs) You, You've been you very well, by the way. I'm giving you top marks for being yourself.
1: Thanks. That's all I got.
0: Yeah, there you go. And I'll put some links to your your current business website um in the show notes and that's been been great you've dropped more names than i've ever met in my life so uh there you go that's been it's uh, my job fantastic. you know i was
1: surrounded by lots of famous people so um you know it's just part you of your go. job really yeah. yeah well that's
0: why i had you on here so you could just lift the profile of the show a little so that's, uh, <laughs> <that's wonderful. laughs> well
1: thank you for inviting me it's a delight
0: Well, when I'm talking to Maz, it feels like pulling back the curtain on parts of the media and creative industries that, as viewers, we don't always have a direct line of sight on, and that really fuels my curiosity. What strikes me from her producing days is, well, firstly, there's an obscene level of visibility and accountability for your work, and you must be able to philosophize that pressure, and she does that by just genuinely wanting to add value and doing her best, and personally I find that's a really useful recipe in countering imposter syndrome. So whatever field you're operating in, if you are genuinely wanting to do your best and applying yourself, then I don't think the you know, the risk of failure is there, but at least you've you've had a go and you've done everything you can. I think that's a really great way of looking at things. The second point is that it's all about people so focusing on not you and the stuff going on in your head but the customer so we can get stuck in our own thoughts a little bit too much in our own views of the world sometimes but running a successful show or running a successful business involves often obsessing about the views of your audience or your customer and the third point I think I took out of this and and there are many others but for CEOs or leaders of any kind it can be lonely in those positions And as Maz said, it's like being the producer of your own show. So she talked about how she had to get a show up and running from a standing start and completed within a a certain number of weeks. And that's really challenging. And for CEOs and leaders, it's, it's often a similar proposition on a daily basis. And how kindness and honesty is required in dealing with people and just owning your mistakes should they occur. The final takeaway was that I may have a career in voice voicing soothing messages, although I suspect if I do, AI will probably take that away from me sometime soon. There'll be links and further information um, if you want to connect with Maz, that'll be in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this, please share with a colleague or friend. You can also message me if you want to bring any of these learnings and insights into your organization or leadership team. My details are in the show notes too. Until next time, I'm Phil Preston, and you've been listening to The Purpose Edge.